Hey everyone, welcome back to Rising Giants. Today we are hitting triple figures. We are releasing our 100th episode. And to mark the occasion, we are welcoming back Ritty Tool to the podcast. He is the co-founder of Kumpi, Salendra, and Small World. Small World Ventures has been at the forefront of building the startup community in Cambodia, and since inception have made over 10 seed equity investments into promising startups. And they've also built an internal team of technicians engaged in R&D projects of which they've been able to spin out Kumpi and Salendra. So we really hope you enjoy tuning into this episode with Ritty. Ritty, welcome back well, to Rise. Oh, sorry, sorry. What this was fixing. I was just like, <laughs> I was just fixing, fixing a light really quick. Okay. <laughs> All right, go ahead, go ahead. Okay, okay, okay. Huh. Sorry, I didn't mean to, didn't mean to fine. Pull the intro flow there. <laughs> okay, okay, all good, all good. Ritty, welcome back to Rising Giants. Thanks for uh, being one of the ones that in the early days believed in us and, and you know, picked up our, our call to have you on as one of the first like 15 or so episodes that we did. So it's great to now have you back as episode 100 as we hit this milestone. So yeah, just first of all, it'd be great to just get an update on like how the last um, pretty much year and a half, two years have been since we last had a conversation. Maybe just some of the kind of key updates on your side on, on what you've been working on. Yeah, thank you uh, for letting me be on the podcast. Uh, I think it's very, very good that you do this. And um, I'm glad to be among the first 10, 20 people to join the podcast. And it's good to see that you keep going. I think it's more important and uh, more exciting. Um, what else did you ask? Um, so nearly it was over two years ago that we first have a conversation. So it's just... I guess just sort of understanding what, what it's been like for the last two years, what you have shifted your focus to since we last had a conversation. Um, not much has changed. My focus has been generally oh, pretty much the same, except that I'm more less focusing on trying to expand the number of companies, but more focus on the depth of the focus of a project that I involve, involve with. So, uh, I have been ever since involved very deep with Kumpi uh, project and Solendra and uh, partially Wadimineer and small world in general. But in the last two years, I'm more into Kumpi and it sucked me in deeper and deeper um, in a good way. So, yeah, so this is the chain or this is the update. That's great. And for the... So for the shift away from the laptop more towards the, sorry, the shift away from the PC to the laptop, right? So going to actually shifting more towards the mini stations, right? Yeah. Okay. And so for each student in a school, you're saying one, one mini station would have, you know, up to 10 to 15 users. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Depend so the impact per, per, is, is bigger. Yeah. Per week or per day. Sometime you can do an average of four hours a day um, or four, four to six hours a day of use that would be at least four students mm -hmm. and, and per, per month, uh, they can do a shift because school do not have computer class every day for that same students. It's not ideal for the students, but it's, it's more democratic, it's more fair distributions. And then for those who have more knowledge of computer and know that they are going to be working more closely with computer, they might decide to buy a computer rather than just buy a computer upfront and then find out that they want to play music. That's a waste. 
And what what percent of schools in Cambodia would you say like today have you know good setups like this, like these sort of labs or computer computer classes that are regular? Like, what would you say that the market that you're looking at, or the the amount of schools that would need this being installed over the long term in order to continue teaching kids? Yeah. About this? So, if we if uh, thank you for the question, um, honestly, I didn't do the market research. <laughs> I don't know how many schools out there doing have the have the lab that they need, but without doing any research, you can also predict by by seeing what the outcome of our learning. Most of the students have access to smartphone, but not idea for learning, and most of the school are not really set for that. In general, for the public school, we we do not know. Uh, how many are uh, set up full full capacity for the computer lab, but I don't think there are many. And there's a there are roughly uh, from primary school to high school around ten thousand school in Cambodia for public school, and there are around four hundred. Uh, I think there are around maybe four thousand school more that is that are private branches, not not brand. So total. Roughly around fourteen thousand school, more or less. I would say not too much less than that. Majority of those school do not have the lab, and so if we look at if we really look at one school per lab, that's fourteen fourteen uh, one fourteen thousand lab. Ideally, each school would have two to three lab in order to facilitate all the student, because not not every student will be able to buy a computer within the next five years, but every student will be able to buy either a tablet. Or smartphone, um, which is okay if they have a tablet with a keyboard. Uh, in the next five years, we don't know what will be changed, but um, in in this in this now until five years, the needs of accessing to good contents, learning content, more in in a more open and and free way is needed, and then more thing can be added. So in short, I think roughly around ten thousand school would need the lab. Um, At least one lab per school, so that's that's quite a big task, big challenge. And uh, I also think it is in the um, future plan of the Cambodian government as well. Okay. And what is it like going to these schools and you know communicating what you're trying to do and these the products you think they would benefit from? Uh, do they are they used to working with more like international brands or would they? Uh, is there generally a good reception that you receive from them about being able to work with a local brand so that they can have you know constant customer service and feedback and repairs? So I just I'm just curious like what that whole what that whole process is like persuading someone or a school to work with Kumpi as opposed to whoever whoever else they they are they're being pitched yeah. to. Yeah. So on a side note, there there. There are now, I think, forty plus school has Kumpi One Lab in into the school. Um, some of those some of those school don't use Kumpi OS, which is okay. They prefer to use Windows, and we allow them to use. We 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 open for them to use Windows. Um, that's what if that's what they want, that's what they want. They the goal is to act to give student access to computer. In terms of the receptions, um, they are more receptive to our team. I have not yet. Go to this to talk to the school personally. A few school I talk to seem to not doing well. I mean, seem seem to not receptive enough. 
Um, but for some reason, my team has a way to con con convince them or explain them that um, the lab is good for their school. And so, so most of them actually turn out liking it. Um, we still have a lot of things to fix, a lot of things to, to improve. But our goal now is to focus on 100 lab in the next six months, up to 100 lab total. And then we'll see what are the percentage of school liking what and disliking, disliking what so that we can improve those lab to fit maybe on board 500 to 1,000 more next year. Um, am I answer your, your question? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I, I lost myself sometimes. Yeah. I was also going to ask about how how Wetika, am I saying, I don't think I'm saying, Wetika, how, how that feeds into this. So like the actual, um, the, the online education platform that you've built in order to, like, I think that's also, from what I remember, is it also open source? So how does that, how does that fit in with the, the Kumpi labs? So, uh, so currently the Kumpi lab has the content server attached. This content server is basically a hard drive uh, full of stuff, like many kind of content. There's so much. It's like four terabytes of contents. I don't know where we get those from, but my team got those contents. Some content we asked the, the, the owner, some content already available in, in, on the internet. So we have so much stuff there. And it's essentially a library of content, internet contents or digital content. Right now, it's only accessed through a web page in the offline uh, internet environment. Wittika is online, so it's only available whenever the user have access to the internet. But we are building uh, Wittika offline. So technically, it's this syncing contents or authentication of the user um, periodically or incrementally back to the online platform whenever there is a slight bandwidth of the internet available. So this video off, on, offline will onboard the whole four terabyte of content from the content server onto Vidika. That is in the plan and it's aimed to be released by September because we started working with Ministry of Education to test 10 school um, actually in September, October uh, to see if the school able to use this online content, online platform in order to blend into their teachings and learning. And it's a way for the teacher to um, monitor student progress. Uh, it's a way for the teacher to also set the uh, exam and principals or the school, yeah, school principal can, can oversee the whole school from one, from one platform, as well as the ministry can also see their test, the testing school from the headquarter in Phnom Penh. So in, in many ways, it's fit into, um, it's fit into uh, uh, Kumpi's vision, also aligned with what we call um, digital, um, more like a digital ID uh, for the user to hold their certificate if they will ever apply or want a certificate from the school. We hope that we will be working more closely with the with the Ministry of Education to issue a recognition certificate um, of completion and po possibly also release the certificate that can be printed out outside that from Vidika and, and, and eventually build up a student profile that can use as a resume 
into their resume or as a resume for their future job application or anything like that. But that is probably like five years down the road. And for at what stage of the education cycle does would would this I guess profile be built at? Is it is it as soon as as soon as a kid enters into primary school, or is it more for high school, or is there a certain is there a certain stage at which a student would most benefit from this? Currently, the the, the students enter to Whitaker in variety of like background so we don't know how to that how to decide on that yet but sin vidiga is not designed to be very academic more like a lifelong learning environment so it's uh, we will let the user decide and request and then see where this gonna go um, but for now we want we want to build the best platform we can build for the user to interact and then feedback. No, that makes sense. In terms of access to internet too, recently there came out that there was, that Cambodia had its first Starlink deployed within the country and mm. kind of this little bit of buzz around this access to internet more in like the rural area. Do you think this is, do you think this is something that will continue? Um, over time, I'm not sure necessarily in terms of like regulations or whatever in the background, and it's necessary or that's allowed from from uh, from uh, from actually being able to like deploy something like this. But do you think that is something that we'll see over the next coming years of more access to internet in areas that have this difficulty in which like ac internet access is currently? Yeah. So Starling, we have been we have been observing, monitoring, ordering two locations since 2020. We did not do because, for example, at our place at Vitaminaire, we are a bit far away from the, the population. Um, if we're going to ever afford Starling, Starling seems very in interesting, very sexy. But for now, the way we receive Starling, it's quite costly. Compared to the current internet setup, it's much more affordable, but it's still very costly. For example, in order to in order to receive Starlink internet, you have to spend around seven hundred dollar for the device, and then the monthly cost is around two hundred fifty dollar or ninety dollar. I, I don't remember per month. So that means it's around three thousand dollar per year, um, with without the upfront one time cost, which is seven hundred dollar. So. Over the next two, three years, that, that let, let's say you do it uh, three years, there'll be $10,000. It's very affordable compared to the current internet setup through cable and all of that. But if you use it for one single location, for example, a school, it's still very costly because using the existing infrastructure, we test 11 schools, it costs $2,500 per year. And then after that, we can negotiate down to lower than that. Although it's less reliable than Starlink, I think. But in terms of the cost, it's still uncomparable at the moment. Starlink will be working very well with, with a very remote location, a very, very remote location. But it's still, the cost there is not subsidized. We had a project called Kumbi Fi Fi 
aim to decentralize the access to Wi-Fi, which means that if we have a location that has a population of around, let's say, 300 people or 500 people or 1,000 people, then we can access one Starlink device, a one Starlink node. Then uh, we set up um, a village hotspot or open hotspot for everyone in the village to chip in or to buy in the internet access. But that come back to your concern about regulations, and we are not sure about how to get through that at the moment. But in the uh, more populated area, we could do that. Um, although the setup cost of the hotspot would be um, costly. I calculated for my my hometown with the 7,000 people's uh, population on an island. With Starlink, we could do, and everyone will pay $1 a month or so. But that means we have to pay for two Starlink, which is $6,000 a year and about $2,000 for setup costs. And then we have to be able to earn that money back so that the people will be able to pay for $1 a month to use the internet. We think about the plan. We think it's very possible. But for now, it's not yet in the, like, there's so much to do. Um, if we if we do that, we might do we might lose something else. And you you had mentioned about the the past three years, your journey since then has been has been profound in terms of interpersonal realization and, and things along these lines. But maybe we can start at the beginning of this of the past three years and specifically on vitamin air, and maybe give the audience a bit of a context on on vitamin air, what you're doing there. And uh, and and what's kind of what you're up to? Okay, yeah. Um, so where do I start with that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So 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 on a personal level, I mean, some people, most people, see me as a strong and happy and do all of that. I'm a very happy person, but um, but since since COVID, I had experienced something new that's profound in many ways good for myself and uh, good good um, good to understand the other angle of life which um, i used to be i used to mock people or like make fun of people those who come to me say that they depressed or they anxious or they have anxiety like i didn't understand the word anxiety um, i had to google what anxiety was I had to Google depression and I think I had experienced some part of depression um, in 2019, 2020 uh, because of this overload work and probably some kind of, what do you call it, burnout and uh, overpressure on myself from many different perspectives, many different angles. And luckily, Small World purchased a property piece in um, Senegal or Kampong Sela district, around 110 kilometers away from Phnom Penh. Mm. And in 2020, before COVID hit in Cambodia very hard, we didn't know there was COVID. We decided to look for this land because I, I, I went to purchase the land in 2018, 2017. And then we bought it, but we were busy with Kumpi. And so around 2020, uh, February, right before COVID hit hard in Cambodia, my brother and 
my mentor and two other boys went with him to look for the land that we bought. And throughout um, the time, uh, uh, coincidentally, after four days of arrival, COVID hit in Cambodia. And then after one month, it was locked down. And so we then decided to move to Vitamin Air and really try to find a way, like the best way to do on the land. Ideally, from the beginning, we wanted to build a sustainable living village. It sounds very easy, but it's very difficult to build when we start to build it, like anything else. Up to now, we're still not doing anything <laughs> big. Intentionally make it slow because we need to learn about what the land could be. We could do on the land not to obsessively build because we learned that so many people buy the land, go build and then left or buy the land, go build and waste. We want to see if nature can take part doing their own work because the goal is to to have the village or sustainable living village very live in harmony and very connected to nature and give nature the time to heal itself so that we can live more in harmony with with the with the nature so we build very small and slow progress and learn how to live there we realized there are around seven to eight months of rain in the area. So if you, if you want to build anything, we have a short window of time to build. But um, in the long run, we want to have a village where intellectual people, couple, will go to do research and build out their family and their career from there. There might be an experimental uh, school break camp or summer camp where students in Cambodia or abroad go there to learn life skill shared by our teams and counselor that we work with over the years because myself and several of my friends has worked with international company that take people around the world on adventure and also do summer camp in America and we want to bring those knowledge to vitamin air on that aspect, but the core of the concept is to uh, nurture the natural friendly living environments as in short, we could say a sustainable living village. So the, yeah, one of the goal today, uh, the, currently also is to learn how to produce food and s yeah, produce food that we need up to around 70, 80% from there. So if anything like COVID again, lockdown happened, uh, we could live there easily. Not a rescue. I don't think the world will go into this apocalypse thing, but it would be good to go back in time when I was young. My father only have 12 meter of land by 60 meter of land. And he grew just vegetable, earn enough money, produce, um, produce anything we need from, from the nature surrounding, from the land and the river that we live there, that we live in. So um, it would be nice to, to be able to do that again after 30 years. So that's that kind of a challenge. So me and my brother and a few friends, and now with the help of my, my father, he's there to help us, to teach us growing corn, growing different kinds of crops. 
and uh, see what crop well on which area of the land because out of all the land we purchase we only use i think three hectares wow around less than one percent of the land we purchase and it's not good it's not good in terms of this economic development but <laughs> but but we 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 use economic, we do other things to do economic developments and, and yeah, the different goal, but some people said it's not good. Well, I guess that's, that's subjective, right? What people say is good or what's not good. I mean, yeah. if you're looking at it from a numbers perspective, but in any case, good things take time. And like you said, it's not as easy as, as it seems when you first dive into such a huge project like this and actually going through the motion of creating is much more, much more difficult and work intensive than you think. During your time at Vitamin Air and as you were going through these challenges and maybe like better understanding some of the, some of the, the hurdles of like frustration and things along these lines, did you see more of this interpersonal understanding of how others view the world? I try, I try not to think what other view the world this day, um, after this. My experience at Vipassana uh, early this year, it's more about each individual person goes through life um, in their own way. They experience, I experience water I drink, the same glass, differently from Max experience the water. Maybe it's similar, maybe we feel that it serves us, but the taste, the texture of the water in the mouth, sometimes different. Even the same person drinking this, the water from the same glass might feel different. So it sounds too philosophical, but that's what I, I see these days. I don't really care very much how people view the world. Uh, it's their world that they see. Sometimes I feel sad that people see it bad or they only see it negatively, ne negative way. Um, but I also see it's negative too sometimes. So it's 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 good to to see both sides. We don't see the light if we don't we don't know what light is if we don't experience the dark. Yeah, go through those moments, give a different perspective about life. And some people come through it in their twenty, some people come through it in their thirty, some people come through it in their forty, their midlife crisis, that so to say. Yeah. I don't know if I answer your question. <laughs> I wanted to like just add to that because you were saying earlier about, before we were having this conversation about how you were pulled back a lot from from like public engagements and like interfacing with the quote unquote you know ecosystem right the people the word people use. So is is that something that you think people misunderstand and like is there anything you want to like like I get I guess it's like how do you. How are you able to communicate that to people like that kind of like stepping back and versus some people that think that, that it's all about like being in the limelight? Yeah. Well, there's, there's a comparison to that I could give. Um, in meditation, we call it be the observer and not participate. I had that before I went to Vipassana, but I didn't know how to explain. I think people are doing too much. They try to do too much. All of this, it's not a bad thing. It's, it's good, but it's just too much. Like ecosystem, what do you call it? Um, startup incubator here and there, you know, accelerator here and there. 
I think it's good, uh, but it just to me it's just word. If you have take no action, if you just if you just say it, and then just keep saying it, no no time to do any work that is really necessary to to produce a result. Mm. So, in 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 a way, it's I want to jump in and uh, and share my perspective. But most of the times, I realize before I jump in, I want to. I mean, I remind myself like this is fun to to watch. Sometimes, sometimes just just people wasting times and money doing the same thing that everyone is trying to do. But people have to go through thing to learn. They have to go through thing to understand and maybe to realize, or they're just doing the right thing. I don't know. From my perspective as an observer, if I were them. I wouldn't do the way they do, but if they will, then if if they were me, they wouldn't do the way I do too. They would do the way they do. So, and the reason I I push back a lot, not because I don't want to participate, but I think some of the people that are doing the work are doing the work that I would want to achieve anyway. So in a way, or in a sense, I lend my mission to the to. To them, so that they do. I lend my dream to them. Um, they borrow, like a simple explanation, maybe a bit, a bit. Maybe I'm not an asshole saying that, but they borrow my dreams, and I'm happy for them to borrow my dreams and doing the thing. For example, like my dream ten years ago, thirteen years ago, was to see more startup coming around the country. I mean, popping up around the countries and. And startup incubator here and there, and that's what's happening now. Like, why am I not happy seeing that? And truly, I'm I'm happy to see that it just become too much, and so I don't want to participate in the too much part. But I'm happy to see what's going on. Yeah, I just just was gonna add add to that as well. Like, I feel like there is a lot of people that uh, that come and go, and there is quite a lot of short term thinking in the people that are in the accelerator incubator space. Sometimes you've got a new program every year, a new this, a new that, and it's very easy to get like caught up in it all and think that this is all, you know, quite exciting. But then I guess over over time you'll realize the people that are here for the long term and like wanting to build and focus on building startups and investing and not really just like here for these more. I guess I see them this more like short term projects. But uh, but as you say, the net the net positive of this is that there is more attention and there is more. Uh, to some extent, there's more momentum for like what it means to be a startup founder here, and there's more programs, there's more learning opportunities, there's hopefully more investors and more more uh, students that want to become founders, and that's that's overall exciting, and everyone should be should be happy with that. Those programs should be more collaborative than competitive. They seem more competitive because of funding. That is a sad thing, but it's a good thing that they do like more program for. People to access, and um, you mentioned about like just yeah, just uh, observing the startups that are popping up and the founders. What if is there anything different today in twenty twenty three about the average founder that you talk to versus what it was like, let's say three or four years ago? What do you? Are there any like differences that you're seeing in the mindset of uh, startup founders today in Cambodia in twenty twenty three? Honestly, I haven't talked to many, so if I said it, it would be too too judgmental. Um, I would 
I would compare five years apart. So, well, seven years, seven years apart, 2015 up to now and 2015 and uh, before 2015. In my opinion, as the, as, as the, from the observation, startup in 20, before 2015 seemed to be more qual- qualified or um, I may be wrong, but seemed to have the, the niche that they focus on, maybe because they have more time until now, or maybe because they, they survive until now. So they have, they have more, more, more ground. Most startups that start after 2015, when the, the boom of the accelerations and accelerators and incubator, uh, pop up, I see less quality of founder. They know how to pitch better, but their product doesn't build better. They seem more short term. They more focus on competitions into those areas. Uh, maybe because they have less competition before, like event. But now that's what I see. Although I don't talk to many, so I, I shouldn't say all of this. There might be a lot of quality, good quality founder out there that I don't know or I didn't talk to. But this is my perspective from, from the angle I stand. Okay. One other follow-up on that would be the, so I think one area that you probably do have a very good vantage point on is, is the crypto community in, in Cambodia, having, having founded and founded Solendra. What are you seeing with the crypto developer community in Phnom Penh in Cambodia? Uh, how is it comparing to some of, some of the region and what are you seeing in that space in general? Of course, the market, um, when th- goes through it goes through its ups and downs, and that's what everyone knows in crypto if you've been around for a while. But um, yeah, just curious your perspective on on crypto and crypto developers in Cambodia. What's sort of have there been any changes to that? I think there are more com- more developer in Cambodia, more crypto developer in Cambodia right now than ever before. Mm. I don't know many of them, but there's a lot more. Yes. Um, some of them are not developer themselves, but some of them are working with developer, both outside, uh, both company from the outside or project from the outside or project in, in, in Cambodia. The up and down on market is all, all, all way there. It seemed to be like every four or five years that thing take off and take down, take off and down. Mm. I don't know many projects going on in Cambodia, but many people talking about it, trying to develop a Web3 and promote, and there's a community called Web3 Together, very interesting group. Mm. Uh, this probably uh, gather the most number of Web3 uh, enthusiasts in the country, but they are the underdog that I'm most interested in, those who build things that not many people knowing about, and it's hard to find them. Um, I think there will be more uh, developer coming around, coming on the space over the next few years, given project kick off from this first generations of developer. Hopefully, hopefully we see good use cases, not, not talking about money al- alone, uh, get rich, get rich quick scheme kind of thing. Um, but more of like a long-term, like a marathon um, kind of project. I think that's all about my, pers- my perspective. 
Is it <laughs> is it answer to your question? Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's no. yeah, that's good. Dumb to to cut all of this. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> I think something interesting that you had mentioned earlier was was about your experience. Mm. Uh, was your vip, vipassana experience? Could you talk to us a little bit about what that is and kind of what it entails that experience? I like that we go we go into crypto and then back to vipassana. <laughs> Actually, vipassana is bigger than crypto to me nowadays. Mm. I've I've been in I've been interested and always do sort some sort of meditation here and there all the time. Whenever I have time, I'll do short meditation like five minutes, three minutes, ten minutes on the road, on tuk tuk anywhere. But the vipassana was was deep, very challenging. Like um, I don't know how to describe the experience at vipassana. I would say as similar to taking a psychedelic drug, but conscious, like being conscious. You're committed to it. Technically, I think it's it's the it's the work of uh, self-determination, try to understand the, the work of the mind without force and learn to be patient. It's, it's, it's basically like going back to school that train you how to be, how to be, <laughs> not how to be anything like how to be, like just to be. It's very difficult to be, like you can't be sitting in, in a place and be. You have to do something in order to, in order to give yourself an idea of existence. Mm. But that's not vipassana. Vipassana is be there and be. Mm. And um, the work that we go through at the center was to sit and watch how your mind running around over and over for eleven to twelve hours a day, sitting like your my back were so painful. My body was so painful. My stomach pain was there, but it's like, if there's pain, you endure the pain, not trying to endure it, but endure the pain by just let it be. And that was the hard part. But then after six, seven days, it become natural that, that, um, you understand the body a bit better. What I get most out of it was the the understanding of the the work, important of work, like it doesn't matter what it is, hard or easy, you just work day in, day out, all day long, and you're going to get resolved. It's like so simple, but it's so difficult. And the work is not just like work, focus. Um, and the focus of Vipassana was to be. And so that was the result, like to be. And And after 10 days, I felt very alive, very strange happiness. That's at some point I don't feel attachment to that too. I feel the joys and the urge to share this happiness with the world. It's like people should understand this kind of happiness. Like you should go to Vipassana, just go to Vipassana, just go to Vipassana. I tell like hundreds of people about going to Vipassana. I think a bunch of people went. 
But some people, some people get vipassana the first time. Some people get vipassana the second time. It's vary between people to people. Best to train at least to learn how to meditate. But there's a lot of conf confusion in 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 our society, especially in the Cambodian Buddhist environment or Buddhist uh, community. That vipassana is about seeing the true universe, seeing the God, seeing all of that. Um, it's it's purely science. It's the understanding of the molecules and the the way the thought uh, appear or created, the way the way we we make ourselves suffer with with no particular important reason so those those are the misunderstanding within our community especially in the buddhist community now i try to explain to my parents you should go before you're like 60 70 or like 60 70 would be hard because to to sit at a, at one place for 11 hours with five minute break is like torture Try to sit for five minutes and maybe try to sit for an hour, maybe 30 minutes. Don't move. Like you don't move your body. Sit whatever you want. You can sit whatever you want. 30 minutes, you can't, you, you will feel like you're go. you feel like you're going crazy. Just sit on a chair, sit on the floor, sit on wherever you want. Even to just sleep without moving while being awake is a tough, a tough job. That was Vipassana, and that's what I learned. I learned to be still or to be the observer more in our society or in my work. Yeah, that, that was going to be the follow-up, is how have, you, how have those learnings translated to, to your work today? Uh, what are some of the major differences that you've seen, more of these learnings that have translated to work, into your work life? Very good. Thank you. Follow up question. You're very good. <laughs> I don't know. Where, I don't know why I talk about it because after I talk, I forgot. Mm. Surprisingly, I'm more relaxed with any kind of situation thrown at me. Probably, I'm overstated, but this is what I feel. For example, um, before COVID, there there were some people leaving from my team. I feel, I feel bad. I feel not. I feel not good about myself, and I feel bad also that people leave me during COVID people left me and I felt worse because I thought how can they leave the company being like in a difficult situation they should be staying together um, after Vipassana I want people to go find themselves if they have to go if they have to leave the company and find themselves and earn more money they should um, and the situation in my company doesn't turn bad Before COVID, it turned a mess. After one person leave, like so many people, like worries and we don't know whether we're going to do it. We don't, we don't know we're going to make it. After Vipassana, my reaction to this kind of situation, even when cash flow problem, because like during COVID and after COVID, um, cash flow pro problem is everywhere and company has the same. I would feel very bad. I would feel difficult, but I felt hopeful for some reason. I was like, Jesus Christ, I love this because because now now it go back to the this the core the time that small world was just started we didn't have anything but we had hope and we had the dream desire aspire aspiration to build to do a lot of things 
So when we had that, I kind of like it. Not that I like that we had cash flow problem, but I like that we ha- we we were in the uh, in the situation that the people who stayed worked together more closely, more intensely, and we had the the gut to cut what unnecessary job or unnecessary task away. When we had more people, we didn't know what to throw away because there's a lot of people would there's a lot of people need to do thing, you know, need to do something. When we have less people, we tend to know what we really need to focus on, and that translate to efficiency and outcome. And before we had a lot of result, but those result do not really translate to the outcome or the the objective we want to achieve. Now, a small amount of people, basically a small team of people, work on only necessary task to achieve the work that we want to achieve, which is the objective, short-term objective, medium-term goal, and long-term vision. Um, and we are always on a mission nowadays that every day we had this. I remember early day at Small World in 2014, 15, 13 or so, we had morning meeting. Now we had morning meeting and afternoon meeting, and but only like five, 10 minutes. Catch up what we do, what is the, what is the block. And people seem to be more in tune, right? in one, oneness kind of thing. And um, I like that more. And um, lately we had seen so much opportunity based on what we just brainstormed three months ago can be applied to real, real world business use, business use case. And we're not so much reactive to situations or people request. We see whether that can be applied to what we're doing now or not. And if it's not, like we have the gut to, to keep it aside on a shelf and come back later, maybe later. So um, between March this year to now, the tremendous outcome from Vipassana uh, has shown itself. And my team also like to work with me more. Before, they like me as a person, but they don't like me as a person at the same time because I sometimes be like an asshole, you know, very demanding out of nowhere. But now I'm just more like an observer and assistant to my team. And then I do my job the same way as they do. Every day we have the task to explain, like what one or two tasks every day, and we do. I don't have the time to basically come out and talk to people about what we do. Because we have four times a day, morning at 8.30, morning at 11.45, afternoon at 1.30, afternoon at 4.45, five minute, 10 minute meeting. So those like like working, working, unless the meeting is very important, then I come out. Or unless like friends like you, once in a while we meet and we, we talk, that's good to get me out of the office. Um, another thing that you, I guess, you'd mentioned before in the past was was about because I think running small world, as you were saying, it could get there's so many portfolio companies, there's so many ones that you were involved in the co-founding of day one, and it can sometimes be hard to find people to delegate and uh, come in and and take over, like take over and like take over your baby, right? <laughs> so I'm curious, like how that experience has 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 been for you. Have you been able to find? great team members that you can really feel comfortable delegating to or do you is that something that you still struggle with to find those the right team members and also incentivize them correctly so there with you for the long term okay so 
honestly speaking, small world didn't have that many babies we had, but most of them died. So only several, like a f- not not several, a few, some like Bumibas and all of that. They already have the like, they come with their own idea, the teams and all of that. Um, the venture building that we had now bring all back under small world roof or small world umbrella, and the whole team working together under one umbrella. So currently, I don't have to worry about giving the baby to any any person. Mm. And I believe in the work of the time that the right person will show up, show their leadership, show their understanding, care for the missions, and will take the company forward if they need to. Because I'm going to be the sideline, the, the person who stand on the sideline and guide and work with them to see where the company, where the project going to go. And the person, the person who cared the most about different or particular project will be the one who assigned to or volunteer to take on. So I don't have to worry about that yet at the moment. And just specifically for, for venture, venture building, maybe in today, in 2023, what do you feel like are some of the key, um, some of the key things that need to be in place in order for a business that goes through the venture building cycle to be successful? What would need to be in place to at least have a, a good starting foundation. Again, so I have an update about the current small world situation. We do not open for any other venture to build under small world. We would recommend to meet people like you or other people that, that will take on them to do. We decided to focus on the one we have. Because under under Kumpi, for example, we have a few projects that could be spin off as its own company eventually. So currently, this these are the focus, and we rather recruit more team to join this team rather than recruit a new team that will come to take on the idea. Um, this is this is what we learned so far that recruit a new team to take on a new idea would be more tough. And um, the missions, the culture will be different. So we decided to to go slow this way. Uh, not about the number anymore. Not about how many team we work with, but um, the depth of the project that we have and the the number of the people that each project impact through the product or the service that we provide. This is the current focus or the um, the mission, or I don't know what to say. What is the word? Yeah, current focus. So we don't have to. We don't have to worry who to delegate to lead anything. We don't have to worry about uh, what project to give to one person. Uh, and we don't have to worry about hiring more people because the number of people that we have now is enough to run. But those who really, really, really good showed that they really, really want to join the team. They have a, a few months to, to, to show themselves. Um, now we have two people and we practice the all yes, one no, no, meaning that the person will have to meet or agreed by everyone in order to join the team. Otherwise, they can be contracted or they can be paid on a monthly basis, but not join the team. Okay. Yeah, it just it sounds like you're you know what once you've built a culture and, and a team that are that you feel are good operators, you can keep working with them over the long term. 
rather than trying to find a new team for a new a new business and such so okay okay well yeah well no so on that um and uh so for for where you're spending most of your time which seems to be as of now kumpi and and of course kumpi has today as we understand like um has raised capital from small world but are will you be looking to raise in the future from larger investors um to scale the business and and meet your your targets of you know, achieving, you know, 100 or 1,000 schools maybe by in the next few years? Yeah, so we are still debating between raising money and doing the hard way. And um, we, we, we may raise money if it's sizable fund, meaning that it's big enough that we don't have to raise the second time. Or otherwise, we will be rather build a company through cash flow positive and then get one lap at a time, and then maybe see what's come after, after that. The goal now is to be able to get to 100 lap, like I mentioned earlier, because like everything else, like the game of counting, you count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. After that, you count 20, 30, 40, 50. After that, you count all the 100 and you don't count 101, 102, you count 100, 200, 300, 400, 500. So the philosophy or the angle of the business growth that we see is like that, like, like the game of counting. So it's good to raise funds and then go to 1,000 from 10, but we will learn very hard that growing like that will have very, very weak foundation. And I learned it the hard way as well with a few projects. So we want to have the team grow this way. And we don't have to recruit any PhD or MBA student to come and lead the company. I want the team to, to grow by themselves up to that level and maybe recruit the business management students or master like MBA student. MBA graduate to to lead the company later, uh, not in the very short term period. The way the Silicon Valley's uh, work is different is to scale or to die. We don't have to go that way. We don't have to scale or die. We can we can work the way we 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 see fit and um, follow the the long term like the long term mindset. We don't have to scale that, that, that fast, but if the opportunity arise and we are strong enough to take on that challenge, then we, we would, but I don't have a particular moment or uh, time frame to raise funds. I think when the, when the time is right, the money will be there. And then the target audience and the number of school that we want to reach will be rich, but we will not stop until we get there. That's what I, that's what we have in, in the team. At least I have, I'm not sure if all my team has, but that we choose it that way. Okay. And, uh, you'd mentioned about how, you know, you're still going to vitamin air. How, how important is that to you for your business and for your, for your mindset to be there? I think you said you're about 50, 50 between the two. Is that, is that kind of where you want it, where you'll keep it at? So that, that split between the kind of more like the vitamin air versus being in Phnom Penh. Before I had to run away from the crowd because I didn't know how to deal with the crowd. I mean, the busy city life 
now I know how to deal with this busy city life. I don't have to run away too much. Going to vitamin A is more about relaxing, but more beyond relaxing is to figure out how to achieve or get on with this building of the sustainable living village the right way. And it's good to be there very often to see which part of the village to go first, to do first. Where exactly is the, 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 the foundation that we will kick off? Until now, we sort of know where it is, but go often is, would be helpful. So I don't have to be at, be at very many at the same amount as when I did before. So I would say two weeks maximum per every two months or every one week a month. But I, now I stay in something more long term and then go to vitamin A like a week here and a week there when whenever time's allowed. Mm. Yeah, like I said, it's not like before. But in the future, maybe more. Mm. Yeah. And I think something that you mentioned too is is your brother and your father is out there as well. So it's thinking back on earlier in the conversation when you mentioned about how when you were growing up, it was focusing on or it was learning about how to to grow on the land. And then now it feels like full circle going out to vitamin air and having, you know, him be able to teach you some of the ways and, and this kind of like nostalgic feel, feel like it has to be a, a really cool experience for yourself. Uh, just, just to like have that full circle experience yeah. from childhood to, to today. Yeah. It's interesting, like interesting how life has turned because my parents basically earned the money from the farm to send her to school because they don't want us to farm. And now we all go back to farm. <laughs> Interesting, right? Interesting. Right, it is. Not that I do farming myself, not that I do a lot of farming when I go there, but it's nice feeling to be at the farm and to see fruits grow out of tree, to pick it up, eat it right there. It's the best feeling. My <clears throat> girlfriend's dad, he recently purchased some some hectares of land not too far away from where i live in the u.s now and he he he's taking care of horses and what he would do is he would take the manure from the horses and throw it into a section of the of the of the land and his son loves to eat cantaloupe and watermelon and so he would also throw the pieces what's cantaloupe? Uh, like a mango kind of like mango oh. it, it's just a, another fruit hmm. and so he would throw the the scraps of the fruit into this area as well not thinking twice about it and then after one season he started to see this cantaloupe and watermelon grow and he realized yeah. i guess i'm a farmer now <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot we have a lot yeah. happening like that too that <laughs> like watermelons uh, pumpkin that grow out of like go to poop, grow, grow yeah. by itself. And those are the things that grow better, you know, to grow by itself. And sorry to interrupt. That those are the the thing that I compare to startup or team that grow by itself. Not much nurture. It's good to have some some uh, fertilizer, but the thing that can grow by itself, if we take care of it a bit, they seem to be yield more fruit than the one we nurture too much into it 
uh, yeah. yeah, more of the the natural growth versus something that's a little bit more more forced and calculated. Mm. Um, and we've had a we've had a fantastic time uh, getting to catch up with you, Ritty, and especially on this hundredth episode, it's it's been a very special one for both Max and I. And cool. Well, yeah, Ritya, thank you again for taking the time to speak with us today. As always, really appreciate it. And yeah, look forward to speaking again soon and uh, seeing all the updates that you have. Thank you. Thank you for having me.